Hello, welcome to another episode of Faith and Honor. I'm Father Bart Gingrich. If you like the show, we always appreciate shares, a thumbs up, five stars, uh, and just a word to your neighbor. We uh, also accept support through Patreon, Subscribestar, if you want to support us in that way. Today, we have a really great discussion, a really great subject, and a really great person to interview on those, and it's uh, Father Tony Melton. Father Tony, how are you? I'm doing great. It's an honor to be here. Great. Tell us about yourself. Well, I'm a church planter in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, three, About four years ago, in 2019, we arrived in Marietta, Georgia uh, in July and uh, planted a church. It's now Christ the King Anglican. Uh, and so I'm in the Diocese of the Southeast in the Reformed Episcopal Church and uh, uh, now serving as canon for church planting in that diocese. All right. So the subject for this podcast uh, episode is church planting. I think the first thing we have to do is define what that is. And for some, that doesn't need any definition whatsoever. But others, depending on your church background, this is a very strange phrase. It's maybe a phrase you haven't heard much of. Right. And so we kind of need to define what that is. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll give it my best shot. I mean, church planting is the starting of new churches, it's it's a uh, it's where a church doesn't exist. You put one, and uh, so the idea of a plant being that it starts with the seed and, and grows to a full tree, um, but it's the process of of establishing new parishes. Um, yeah, it's. I also just might add that that it is the model that we see in the scriptures. You know, the we all everyone often speaks of the Great Commission, um, but if you follow the intuition and the program that the apostles took, the, the strategy that they used, it was to go fulfill the Great Commission by by planting churches, um, especially Paul. Uh, but you also see this pattern even in Abraham. Um, you know, God said, this this land will belong to you, and he built altars throughout the land. And so yeah. there's this idea that you you take you take the land and you bring people into the fold through the establishment of new parishes. Um, so this is a, a, a really an evangelistic kind of project. Um, Very much. Yeah. yeah. Statistically, there has been a lot of, of studies just about, you know, in the last 100 years, but what is the most effective way of reaching people who are, as we, as we kind of categorize them, unchurched, de-churched, or under-churched? Okay. Um, and without any question, the most effective way of reaching those those that kind of triad of groupings is through church planting. There's there's something about it. We can get into that further later. Um, there's something about the process and the prospect of establishing a new parish that is um, just very drawing to people who are currently outside of the church. Yeah, well, actually, let's hop into that a bit, because what I wanted to do, we just had an episode with Tony Welty, the other Tony, oh, great. Yeah. on church revitalization, parish revitalization. Yes. And what can we do to contrast planting with revitalization? Right. I think that might be helpful to like understanding these groups that need to be plugged in to a local congregation. You know, you have underchurched, um, you have de-churched, you have non-churched, un um, What's the difference? How does it? What does that look like? And how the uh, work goes down? Yeah. 
Well, I think I'd be remiss to say if I didn't say that there's tremendous overlap between the revitalization world and the church planting world. I, I think that in, in many ways they're saying similar things in two different contexts. Um, of course, revitalization being within the, the context of a current existing parish and then church planting where there's not one. But if I had to contrast them, um, I think church planting has um, more opportunities than church revitalization, um, and, but it also has more dilemmas like okay. to, to solve questions, to solve uh, systems to build. It's it's more intense of a process. There's there's often a, a tighter timeline. Um, you th- so yeah, more opportunities, more dilemmas, and acute physical and mental stress. Yes. Whereas whereas church revitalization often has more resources. You know, church planning does not often have an abundance of resources, building resources, people resources, staffing, just even like best practices, established protocols, none of it exists. And so revitalization can actually leverage the decades of work that have gone into a parish, the the endowments, the 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 property, all of the little altar you know, accoutrements that we take for granted as, as, you know, established parishes, those are already solved. So they have, they have more resources, but they also have more obstacles. Um, and so instead of a key, a lot of those are, are kind of structural. Well, this is the way we've always done it. That takes an enormous amount of time and patience. And so, whereas planting has acute physical and mental stress, Revitalization has kind of prolonged relational stress. Okay. Um, you have to deal with a parish that needs to be revitalized, and they need to be revitalized often for a for a real reason. Right. They aren't. They aren't. Oftentimes, they're not healthy. Right. And so, um, I I I tip my hat and take my hat off to revitalizers. I don't. I don't think I would be a good revitalizer. I'm not patient enough. Mm-hmm. Maybe that means I'm not godly enough. But I, I, I like the kind of you build it up, and and the only obstacles are that which you have not created or solved yet. Interesting. That that that's very helpful. Um, I think we used the metaphor in the last episode of sprinting versus a marathon. Yes. Um, but th- that's even better in terms of how that. So you mentioned. You, in a sense, you you're more in the cockpit. Yeah, uh, if that makes sense, you're more in control. You have to make the decisions. You have to face the dilemmas. Um, it's it's not a lot of other people and a big power struggle necessarily. When you have a church plant, it relies a lot more on the initiative of the planter. Am I misreading that? Oh, a hundred percent. No, you're not, you're not misreading that. It's, it is very much like that. I mean, when you're planting, when you're in extension work, you don't have a vestry. Um, when you're a mission, you have a bishop's council, but you know, you, it's not elected. Uh, you often don't have buildings. Uh, you don't have your budgets function a little bit less. You don't have to put them through the same processes. And so there's, these are not small things. They they actually represent a large body of work 
that is required a relational structural organizational administrative a, a lot of work that that is that is always present when you have an existing parish um and uh the the people work the structural work of what has been and kind of untangling where it's unhealthy how to adjust it where are the sacred cows um those that's a that's a that's a it's a tedious work it takes a godly patient uh parochially gifted guy right right whereas i think church planting it favors um it i wouldn't i wouldn't i wouldn't say that church planting is entrepreneurial mm -hmm. i think that i think that there's some significant differences between church planting and the business world however there is also an overlap of culture and gifting and strategy with church planting and entrepreneurial you know method right because you, you are starting something you are setting the foundations exactly. for something you're not trying to repair an existing foundation correct um i actually want you mentioned it's not entrepreneurial but you would think it is seen as entrepreneurial in parts of what i'll call church planting culture mm -hmm. um i i kind of i don't want to be overly negative all the time but what what oftentimes happens in that kind of world can differ uh, in practice and values and approaches than uh, what we as traditional classical Anglicans would uphold and embrace and, and practice. Um, and I guess what I'm really asking is, what does it look like to plant a parish in the Anglican way that contrasts with what many other church planters do in other traditions? Um, yeah. And and I think part of that too is is what are the goals of a church plant that might differ from, you know, a, a one that's more influenced by revivalism, like the Baptists or or Charismatics or non-denominationalists or even some Presbyterians. Um, what do you see there? Is is there a lot of difference? Is there a lot more overlap than difference? I'm interested to yeah, to hear from your experience. Um. I'll say that I have not found a huge level of difference between planting an, a church in the Anglican way and a church in the, let's just say, the, the kind of the broad evangelical way in terms of method. But I have seen a difference in terms of focus. So, for instance, on method, I, I, I've really benefited from what they call the launch model. Um, which places the establishment of the primary worship service a little later in the process. Older models within like a Christendom model or a Christendom culture were based on like, oh, you can just hang out your shingle, which means like start your liturgy. And people will be like, oh, there's a new liturgy in town. We should go check it out. That's not the case anymore, at least in most parts of the country. So I, I think that in terms of method, I haven't seen a lot of dissonance that needed dissonance between an Anglican church planting model and a and maybe just like a broader evangelical. However, it, I think a good way of distinguishing the two would be like what you're driving towards. So in like a big box evangelical plant, they are their launch service might be this the build up to have this enormous uh, emotional 
uh, high production experience, you know, come and experience God. And we're, you know, like even some of them would, would have the smoke machines and, and the light show, they got to get their light shows going up and uh, you know, all, all of those things that go into kind of the stereotypical big box plant. Whereas, uh, and, and so there's a lot of like hiring and, and marketing and staffing that's going on to get ready for that big moment. Well, for us, our big moment was the first time that we took the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. And it was the first time that we offered our our souls and bodies through voice with a choir. Mm-hmm. Our smoke machine was a thurible. Um, and training people to even appreciate what incense meant and why we have that. And so... I think it, the difference for me is what you're actually preparing for and what exactly are you launching? Mm. And in an Anglican church plant, I think that drives you a little bit more towards catechesis. Yeah. Whereas in a big box evangelical plant, which has a, a huge emphasis on emotional uh, uh, experience and production, it's driving you a little bit more towards, well, frankly, production. Right. Yeah. Right. And there's a, I mean, it's good to have organization and programs, but then there's this very programmatic aspect of getting all these practical ministry opportunities underway to help make people's lives better. Um, you you kind of run into that with really big, yeah, in that part of the world, that really pragmatic approach. Nothing bad with helping that, but then also there is a lot of attention directed towards that. Exactly. I, I appreciate your thought regarding catechesis because ultimately the task is to know God and yes, man's nature is to worship him, right? That's our, our duty, our task, our blessing and privilege, what Christ makes possible for us. And we've talked about that a lot on this podcast before. Yeah. And, and that's really helpful to just the theology of worship uh, and how we understand ministry of the word. Yeah. Is really uh, that's really good. That that probably really helps ground things too. Is like where where what are we shooting for? What's the goalpost? Exactly. Yeah. Another way of saying this would be that if you if you keep the altar and the and the word in the center of your of your goal, like this is what this church word and sacrament is what this church is going to be about. Right. And what's this? And it's going to be what the church values catechesis, prayer, discipleship um, in, in the Anglican way, it, then, then if you can keep those central, it, then, then there's an enormous amount to learn from the broader um, church planting world and models. Um, there's even a lot to learn from like corporate culture. Um, I think that, I think that that's one of the things that has benefited us at Christ the King um, was, you know, we had, uh, we've had people that have been involved in the church plant that really brought a lot of the skill set. Um, but at the center of their heart and their mind and their imagination was word and sacrament. It's, it's, it's talking about the gifts perhaps of administration, right? Um, yeah. We, it's we, awesome. we, yeah neglect and uh, disparage the gift those gifts at our great peril oh um, yes absolutely yeah we can have kind of a very pietistic sort of understanding that's dirty 
<laughs> it's like you can't do that. But no, you really want things to be well done. We should all be ambitious to be well pleasing. We all really do want to exercise our gifts um, and have some sort of excellence. Um, and and not in the sense of of self-aggrandizement, but rather in the sense of expanding the kingdom of God and uh also um relating to him right uh like you were saying uh, of the word and the sacrament that's what we're excited about we want others to to enjoy that as well um that's a real need actually and this this is when you can run into folks complaints like why don't you just always revitalize well there, first of all there's not always a congregation in a new and developing area or or enough or a healthy one um but also there's this other this um this opportunity i guess you could say of really uh maybe that's the best way to reach the flock in this area if that makes sense um, yeah yeah the even in the revitalization world you have you have the idea of replanting right kind of a blending of the two yep it's answering the question well okay if you have a church that's let's just say 15 people. Um, the 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 likelihood of that church being revitalized to a point of like sustainability is really low. It's really low. And so the 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 more strategic choice would be to replant. And uh, now the difference is it would take a whole podcast to to kind of explain but but essentially when things are starting up from the ground up um you're able to reimagine how to be effective um you're you're breaking up things that have become unhealthy mm-hmm. um you're able to uh activate outsiders imagination for what for what a healthier version of this parish could be Right. And so they're more likely to be involved. It's what they would call more permeable to outsiders. So those are just some of the opportunities that are always present in planting. And it's one of the reasons why a lot of revitalizers replant. Right. Well, we that's actually, we, we did talk along those lines because so often if you're revitalizing a parish and unless the community is cratering economically, socially, mm-hmm. um, there's usually a problem in the parish. You know, someone's running the, you know, some patron or cadre mm-hmm. of, of folks who are kind of the the crazy people running the asylum, and that needs to be dealt with. And yes. when you plant a church, you don't have a, a, a small cadre of people in the seat of control and dominating right. the ethos of the parish that uh, to your point, are totally uninterested in the actual ministry of word, the actual sacramental life, the actual task of catechesis. You have people that go to that church, that have been part of that church for a long time, and those things that should be important to them aren't. Um, and it, it, it leads to a deeply unhealthy parish. And so very often, the way Tony Welty was talking to you is it is an, an often replanting not always, but very often. Yeah. Um, I do want to talk about life as a church planter, though. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because it's an exciting opportunity, right? It's really, it's if you've got the gifts, it's really neat to help build something um, mm-hmm. and and be to be God's instrument to to build something and establish things. Um, what gifts do come to the fore and help for a church planner? What 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 are some things that you could point to as like, hey, these this really came in handy. You've alluded to some of them already, but I just kind of yeah. want to hear more of your thoughts there. Yeah. Um, well, I think it'd be important to say that there's a lot of different models for church planting. And the reason why I think that's important to lead off with is because the different models require different skill sets. So for instance, one of the models is um, a, a mother-daughter church plant. Uh, that's probably the the most effective model. It's where you send, sometimes it's called a hive plant. Those are synonymous. Um, it's where you send a group from an existing church with a planter. So he starts with anywhere from 30 to 90 people. Um, well, in that case, the, it doesn't put as much of a need or pressure on his ability to gather. And it puts a heightened uh, need on his ability to galvanize, catechize, mobilize. Um, so he doesn't have to be as much of an upstarter. Well, maybe that's not the right word. Upstart is that upstart is a has a negative kind of a, an entrepreneurial mind. Um, whereas a parachute planter are th- those are a little bit more rare because he has to be able to network, gather, galvanize, catechize, mobilize, and then once it's of a sufficient size, structuralize the whole thing. And that those that skill set, he has to be able to to do that. Um, and 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 within a fairly short timeline because parachutes are are pretty expensive. So. Um, in terms of the skill sets that would kind of be valuable for all of them, he, a planter has to be highly resilient, um, emotionally, physically, the, the physical demands of church planting are enormous. Um, even just the setup and teardown of, of being in spaces that are not, you know, pew pews and, and brick and mortar. It's very taxing. The workload is high, um, especially when you're in your networking phase. You know, you're always with people, so it's easy to get exhausted and burnt out. So high resilience, it's why it's why it's helpful to be young. Mm-hmm. Um, I started this church plant when I was 33, um, and um, I my parishioners tell me that I aged 10 years in the process of four, um, and I believe them. So yeah. it's just, hard. it's hard. So it's good to be young. Um, I always tell people that you, it's, you, you have to be persuasive. And the reason why that's it, that is, is if you think about it, you're trying to persuade someone who may, may or may not be a Christian to join a church that doesn't exist yet in a tradition that they don't understand uh, with a guy that they don't know. Hmm. Um, and so the ask is enormous. It's why most dioceses require church planters, even if they don't need any money, maybe they have all the money they need. They still require church planters to go out and fundraise because if you can't persuade someone to depart from $5,000 in a year, 
you surely will not persuade someone to come to a church that doesn't exist yet in a tradition they don't know with a planter they don't they don't know well or don't mm-hmm. trust. And so um, the the you know a lot of the skill sets would overlap with sales. Of course, it's not sales, but the skill sets are are similar in that you have to persuade people to do something that they might have fear or confusion about. What? So this is definitely a big undertaking. And so what are some things that could help a young man prepare? First of all, maybe we could ask about discernment, right? How do you mm-hmm. discern whether you want to do this? That's always a tricky, tricky question. But also, what are some conversations he needs to have with um, God, obviously, in prayer, but with other people like pastoral figures and family? Because if you're going to undertake this very taxing uh, ministry, uh, you probably need to be talking with several folks in your life uh, before you pull the trigger on that. Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I'll start with the most important. Um, I, I don't think, uh, you, I, 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 no matter what ministry you go into uh, in the church, um, whether that's parochial uh, or planting, uh, you simply won't survive without a rule of life. Hmm. And so um, the number one thing I would tell a person who is even thinking about church planting is you, you do not want to be developing the habits of prayer while you are in the midst of such a scrambling, uh, disintegrating process like church planting. You won't build them and it, you, your soul will shrivel. Um, you need to be able to rely upon the virtues and habits of prayer that have been already established. So for my story, you know, I served um, 10 years under Father John Bonesire at Chapel of the Cross um, and the school at St. Timothy's, where we kept the office every morning and every evening uh, with the students. And so, you know, the daily office was like breathing to me. Um, I didn't have to think about it. It was just what we did. Um, and so that that was crucial for me when I started to plant. And so developing those things uh, as habits, in terms of the conversations with God, the more you read of the scriptures, the more you realize that God is a God of mission, and he is constantly sending His himself through his son um, and all his people um, to go. And uh, when his people don't go, he, as we see in Acts 8, he sends persecution so that they will go. Um, he sends difficulties so that they must go. And so um, to catch the vision of mission in the scriptures is crucial because that's the, that's the heart of God. We have a God who longs to see those who are outside his son in his son. If they're underchurched, unchurched, or dechurched, he, he is the father on the porch who cannot wait for them to come. Um, up the road. And so uh, the, the, the harvests are white. So, so developing your missional imagination is a way of kind of conversing with God and adopting his heart. That's what I see is the missing element of why there are not more church plants. Hmm. I don't think people have actually understood the heart of the God that we worship. If they did, 
they'd be busting they'd be busting their uh their their doors out to to go out and bring people in so it's interesting kind of a failure of imagination mm-hmm. that's and what's at stake i mean right. I, I i was raised in the baptist church and i know i know that i sound like a baptist but it's not untrue to say that there are souls at stake. You, know, you don't this, sound like a Baptist when you say that. You sound like a Christian. Exactly. Um, but I often don't find those conversations uh, within, let's just say, more liturgical environments. Um, you know, a lot of my Anglo-Catholic friends, that those aren't the conversations they're having. Hmm. I'm a part of a cohort of, of uh, non-denom uh, church planters. And that's pretty much all they talk about, right? You know, how, how many how many people are they meeting that don't know Jesus yet? Hmm. And how can hmm. church planting reach them? Yeah, well, I would love that to govern. By the way, the discussion boards hmm. uh, in the ACNA and in the REC. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I maybe less on like liturgical or doctrinal opinions. Not not that those are unimportant um but maybe more on like how do we reach the lost no i mean what well when you get into that inward focus where you can start spiraling you do want uh truth and doctrinal accuracy it's um there's this danger of ministry unites doctrine divides so throughout doctrine and we don't want that right but uh we also see kind of the inward turn of these internecine debates mm. that kind of can ignore there's also a world out there that's perishing and not seeing that as kind of the primary mission. And instead, what people do is they work out their own spiritual crises and pilgrimages. Um, and and we have several excellent planters. One of them is a friend of of, of you and me. And a colleague yeah. in the REC, and he's like, when a, if a priest takes on a parish and it becomes a project of him just kind of working out his own spiritual odyssey, hmm. right? It's about him and his challenges, and he's this protagonist and basically a novel. Um, just the, the the immense amount of damage that does, both corporately to the church and then more specifically to his congregants. Because it happens, they got all this angst and anxiety and these this drama, and then they drag their whole families and congregations through it. Yeah, and it can often be tied up with you know the grass is always greener syndrome, right? Guys who keep changing major confessional allegiances and denominational allegiances, they they won't stay put and and put their shoulder to the plow. Um. Because when that's the case, it takes the spotlight off of us and onto what Christ is doing and his heart for sinners to be um, healed. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I do think that that is a crucial um, thing. It's, it's one of the reasons why, you know, REC 100 has their, their, uh, their, their kind of mission phrase that we, we are compelled to preach the God, I think they actually use the word compulsion, but mm-hmm. uh, we are compelled to preach the gospel. Um, well, see, this is where I actually see a great um, 
continuity and union because if you want to reach the lost, you want to bring them to Christ and to have a, a life um, changed by the gospel and ordered by it, right? When you have an encounter, a saving encounter with Jesus, we want to call it that. There's sacramental things, there's sacramental participation of all of that. Uh, there and initiation. There's, um, you know, the the life of our heart. It's prayer, prayer without ceasing. All these things that we associate with basic Christian discipleship. That's what we're supposed to be bringing. We're not just supposed to manufacture uh, uh, an anxious bent altar call experience or therapeutic life exactly. coaching session. We are going to use those things that have always helped Christians be Christians and to. Uh, fulfill their Christian uh, privileges and obligations, yeah. which is liturgical, which is catechetical, which is, you know, strong preaching uh, and also approaching the Lord's table with fear and reverence and all, the whole thing. But it's attached to this um, great need that sinners need to be brought in union to God in Christ. Yeah, we we're we're doing a uh, we're we're preaching the last few weeks uh, in the lectionary, but on the topic of a missional ecclesiology, and right. I think it's really helpful because evangelicalism was in, was a thing that it didn't mature into a super healthy thing because it didn't have an ecclesiology, mm -hmm. and so when we say that we want to plant churches in the Anglican way, it's a it's it's a it's a unique uh, it's a unique opportunity. Because we actually have the tools, the the values, the 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 historic biblical norms that that can house an an evangelistic heart and, and have it be healthy. Um, we have an ecclesiology that can be missional, but without that ecclesiology, evangelicalism, you know, it didn't deliver what it what it promised. No. And there's a ton of dysfunction, and I, I don't know about you, but I'm in some sense a, a refugee from that. And this is this is perhaps the danger, and, and perhaps what you might have been referencing. You know, folks that take that very very strong ritualistic turn, they they could very well have been burnt out by the failings of wider evangelicalism as it has become. Yeah, and yeah, the danger there is the anger. Uh, and the frustration and and other dysfunctions yes um pull us away and turn us away from the uh the priority right the the prime directive uh which uh we do find summarized in the great commission um, yes yeah. I, I would start with that as a as as if I if I could have people that are considering church planting do one thing, it, it would be to discover the, the the mission of God in the scriptures to start to develop a missional ecclesiology, because a lot of the people that are finding our tradition are coming here for its ecclesiology, and if they can if they can understand that God's heart for the church is on mission and have both, they are pre. They are pre. They're they're preparing to church plant, but just practically, I I think that starting the uh, imaginative process, uh, the intuitive process of 
how do people find their way into the church? The establishment of what REC 100 would call front porch ministries. It, it means that you have to start something. It means you have to persuade some people to help lead it. You have to persuade people to come to it. Uh, it it's, it's all of the component parts of planting, networking, gathering, galvanizing, mobilizing, catechizing, structuralizing. It's, it's all of those, but it's, it's on a micro level. Hmm. And so if someone was ever wondering, like, would I be a decent church planter? What the first question we ask on our skills interview, whenever we're assessing if we can have someone come in as a resident or a curate is, tell me about when they, when you started something. Hmm. Have you ever started a ministry? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, that's a good indication of, of how you would do if you were starting a church. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, th- that's, that's one thing I would say is, is uh, the, the other thing is would be to search for a curacy uh, or a residency. If you're thinking about planting a church, go to a church plant mm-hmm. and say, can I, can I work? Can I have a, a halftime job? while I learn and kind of gather a, a, an imagination for what this would look like, um, that would be hugely helpful. Uh, Always Forward is an enormously helpful resource. Uh, they have an assessment that we require for all of the church planters that are coming through our diocese. Um, they are not allowed to go out or gather funding until they've been assessed and trained. And so I would, I would uh, one of the things, if you're in the assessment phase, you can go to an always forward church planting uh, intensive. It's called a CPTI church planting training intensive. And those are, I I can't speak highly enough about uh, those, those training intensives. You'll learn an enormous amount. What's interesting, what you're kind of getting into that fascinates me um, is this element of of apprenticeship, Mm -hmm. uh, of mentorship and apprenticeship. And it says discipleship, right? It's kind of you thinking, you know, Paul, Barnabas help establish Antioch or really build it up. Then they go out and then they have these men raised under them like Titus and Timothy. Um, right. I think there's something really important to tell a young buck who's mm-hmm. finishing up his MDiv that you're not really fully ready yet in the sense like there's a ton of things that you can never learn in a classroom that you kind of need to experience under the practical hand of someone else. And one of the best ways is to get on the job site, so to speak, and yes. really apprentice yourself under someone who already does the work uh, well, uh, hopefully. I think our, honestly, I think our schools in the, our parochial schools in the REC um, can be really helpful mm-hmm. uh, ways of finding that type of formation. Now, granted, not all of our schools are, are church plants, or or particularly skilled in church plants, but they are a place to receive some parochial formation, which you would desperately need if you were going to plant a church. Um, you also mentioned, you know, guys that are in seminary. I, I do think one of the missed opportunities, it, as I was going through seminary, you have you have this three to four year period where you're learning. And then you graduate and you don't have a whole lot of experience that's attractive to existing parishes, if there were any that were actually hiring. Uh, and so, you know, a lot of guys go through this, this really difficult season of what do I do? 
they might get a youth pastor job at a bigger church and make pizzas for a couple of years until someone trusts them enough to give them actual pastoral duties. Um, and so one of the things that I think is, is out there, an opportunity is while you're in seminary, you, you can go to a church plant and study by proxy and gain the trust of the people that are going to be deploying you and supporting you and um, and get on the ground training so that when you graduate, you can be ready to plant a church. And then the other thing I'd say is, you know, you mentioned the, the importance of older, wiser men. I, I really think that we can take the model of Timothy and Paul and uh, and really couple it with maybe if you can, the, the, the two by two approach. When I planted, I had uh, Deacon Bill Johnston, who's in his 60s. I had Father Josh Grote, who's in his 50s. And then I had uh, a seminary friend, uh, Deacon uh, Kyle Hughes, who's in his 30s, my age. You should buy his book. He's a huge resource there, you see. Um, But so I I didn't do this alone. I had older guys. Right. And they weren't on staff, but they were there to kind of keep me in check. So I would love to see young guys who've gone through a seminary residency on the ground in church plants or parochial schools who are sent out with older guys who don't necessarily need a full-time salary who are there to help as just the wise parochial minded pastor. That's a great. This is already, I know at least RES had the St. Mark's fellows program. Cramner has these really interesting relationships with the parishes in mid-America, but like we need to foster that almost to the point where while you're doing the MDiv, you're also very practically, and and many seminaries in the RE require at least, you know, activity in the local parish, but be really, I think it's really important to be really intentional about that side of your training. But what I had not really thought about in strong practical terms is actually going out as a team, like mm-hmm. being sent out with more experienced people, people of different ages and demographics and so forth, because that is something I, I you know, we don't talk about a lot, which I think is interesting yeah. because when you all were doing Christ the King, right, what went on behind the scenes? Um, you know, a, a lot of us are encouraged by Christ the King's um, progress, the Lord's definitely uh, been blessing you all in many ways. But what went on behind the scenes and what what helped get that off the ground, you know, in terms of exercising ministry and stewardship? Um, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I do think that that would be a helpful way of thinking. about. It. I mean, it's, it's tough to think that way because we don't have a, a great pipeline yet yeah. in the REC. But um, I do think that I do think that that would be an opportunity um, that's there if if we continue to think about it and look for opportunities for it. That that's a that's a great way of of planting. I, I do often wonder if uh, the reason why Jesus sent his disciples out two by two was just for the sake of synergy and balance between the people's giftings. Yeah, like, right. right. You're this kind of person. You're that kind of person. You guys team up and go and you know. And it's also can be immensely isolating. There's a lot of dysfunction that can afflict a church planter and his family because it can become so lonely uh, and and a really bitter thing. 
and to actually have someone to come alongside of and also um, talk shop with and and console one another, I think, is also uh, underappreciated. And again, that's one of those ecclesiology things, I think. I think evangelicalism has a strong vision for reaching the lost, but the guy who's doing the reaching that God uses, he needs connection as well. And that's ultimately pointing to the church. Um, Yes. Yeah. Well, Tony, I, I just want to thank you for your time and your thoughts. Is there anything else you wanted to share with us? I that was kind of what I mostly wanted to cover. Um I don't I can't think of anything else, but I I, I long to see more churches planted. I, I am excited mm-hmm. about the place that the REC is in. Yeah. Um I I as I talk to people in the REC, I I often don't think that they understand the opportunity that we have. Um, yeah. People actually look to us uh, as a resource in church planting, which is ironic because I think there's other dioceses that statistically are, are planting more churches. But um, we we have a reputation as, as an institution that has started to imagine what it would look like to have this be a real big value for us. You know, right. with REC 100. And um, we actually have parishes with resources. Most of the other dioceses in the ACNA are still reeling from, you know, losing their buildings or not not ever having buildings. Maybe they maybe they just always came from a lack of resources. But we, we have established parishes who can fund and deploy and hire and and we have the we have a huge opportunity to form a curacy and residency program that none of the other jurisdictions and dioceses have mm-hmm. so i i just i know that a lot of people in the rec are listening to this if i had one thing to say to the whole listen, uh, audience it would be um it's not hard to bring on a resident mm. it's not hard to bring on a curate it might be a little bit of a sacrifice. It might be a bit of a risk, but if if all of the churches that could do this did it, we would start to see church planting, and we would start to see the lost being reached, and we'd start to see growth. You well, know, they did a study on uh, the Mid America is the third most growing uh, diocese in the ACNA, right? Entire ACNA. Well, look at what Mid-America has done for the last 10 years. They have repeatedly invested in church planting. That's what I was going to say. It's just, it's this question of investment. Yep. What are you investing in and what are you thinking about? What what makes your priority with regard to your investments? And um, boy, that's a that can be a real soul-searching question mm-hmm. uh, for some parishes, if they're established. Other parishes, you know, the REC depending on the congregation, isn't very rich either, right? If you have these really struggling denomination uh, congregations, yes. that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about ones that actually have some opportunity and resource, and they can form people to do this. Yes. And I actually see the parish schools that we keep spinning out as part of that pipeline. Yes. Because you start them with children and little boys and little girls that are going to grow up to adult men and adult women, and they're the ones that are going to be the ones God uses in his army, right? I mean, think Joshua, think 
uh, all of the New Testament's imagery there. Yeah. And um, I, I think that's true. And and I think a lot of depends on their background, but a lot of people from a mainline background don't really realize there's a war on or they're just waking up to that fact. Yes. Yeah. And that God is on a mission, a, a redemptive um, mission, and there's a history to this. And it's just not there on their on their frequency, on their wavelength. Yeah. And that needs to change. And, and so a lot of dysfunction that we can run into in the sub-jurisdiction sometimes, I think, comes from folks transferring out of the main lines. Yes. And bringing a lot of the main lines in with them. I won't put all there because the REC is an old institution. It can run to the same. It can have it's native. Right. I mean, it can develop into the same problems of of a high boundedness yes um and and the point well but that's why i really appreciate the leadership right it took risk and leadership to establish the rec 100 thing yeah but it is the right investment to make and as you make those investments that directs the attention of the wider Subjurisdiction to the mission, which is what they, you know, need. That's what leadership is. Yeah. And you can build off of that. And it's up to us to really continue investing in that. Yeah. And um, you know, for folks who who might have the ministry, the gifts of of giving, um, you know, look, think about uh, REC 100 as something to support, right? I mean, this is it really is sending out guys to plant churches. Or to revile, replant essentially, and I'm really pleased with that, right? I mean, I'm really pleased that we're putting our mouth where our money is, and we need to continue to do that. Um, yeah. You know, all the orthodoxy in the world should be pointing us to the urgency, yes, of proclaiming the kingdom of God and and reaching the lost. And if it's not, then probably there's oftentimes a theological problem back there. Right. Um, it's not orthodox. And, um, you know, a lot of people can default to a universalism. Yes. Um, hello. That's often what you can find uh, in the pews and even in the pulpits. And that's a real existential threat because it's a grievous error. And uh, it also has a practical fruit that's really bad, too. Rob's mission. Yep. Well, uh, Tony, thank you so much for your time and for your thoughts, and thank you for your ministry uh, there in the Atlanta area. Uh, if you're in Georgia, you should go drop by and, and bother Tony. And if you also uh, want to think about church planting, you're a young guy, it's like, is this for me? Uh, we shared some thoughts on that, but I'm sure Tony could also be available to talk. Um, we could always use boots on the ground. We really yes. can. God really can use you uh, to help establish his church further and to uh, uh, beckon more of the sheep of the flock uh, to their shepherd. So uh, in any case, we hope this episode has been interesting and helpful. And uh, we hope to see you again our next episode. But until then, God bless. Mm-hmm.